Welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. So excited to be here at Gate Church. I get to share with you uh, at the tail end of your Rebuilder series here. It's not quite a Rebuilder sermon, but you'll see it's relevant to that. And specifically, we're going to share a crucial aspect, as Pastor Mark alluded to, about being a Rebuilder and how being a Rebuilder, especially in this area, is going to be about moving forward. Huh? That wasn't planned. That's in my notes. You can check that out later. It's about moving forward together with unity, moving forward uh, with a purpose together uh, instead of the other side of it is would be holding the church back, pulling it down. But before we begin, let me give a slight introduction and a lot of this will overlap here, but it's important to say it anyway. So I am married to Pastor Mark's daughter, Bethany. Uh, We have been married this is an important one. Eight, eight and a half years. It'll be nine years this August, uh, which is unbelievable to me. I still feel like a little boy, uh, but there we are. We have two children. Uh, our son, Lewis is four. He's going to school this year, which is unbelievable to us as well. Our daughter, Violet, is almost two. She'll be two in May. Uh, and uh, I'm sure you've heard a lot more about them than me from the pulpit, and that's how it should be. I know Pastor Mark and Glenda are proud grandparents, and we think they should be too. We love our kids. Uh, I do pastor a church out in Woodstock. It's called Faith Community Church. I arrived there in the fall of 2019, and I remember my first Sunday very well. Maybe a little bit like this Sunday. I remember thinking, this is my first time preaching there. Boy, I got to make a good impression. This is my first impression, and people are going to remember this. They're going to think about this when they think about my time in ministry. They're going to look back at that one. So I remember praying, and I prayed a lot about my first Sunday at my first church, and I remember praying, God, I need this to be good. <laughs> I remember praying, give me a good message, God. I'm praying. I'm seeking your will. I want to do your will. That's more important than what I want to say. But God, if you can just give me this one favor, make it good. I want to do well. I want to preach something that everyone's going to agree on, not controversial. I want to preach something that everyone's going to go away and say, that was great. That was so helpful to my life. I feel better about myself. And to be honest, I'm not sure if God gave me that message I prayed for. However, I have found in my life, when I do the things God tells me to do, they work out better. And so I was obedient to the message God gave me. I sensed he put on my heart and I preached it my first Sunday there. I remember September 8, 2019. I remember the details of that Sunday well. And the message was this. This is really the short form. Be weird. I told them, be weird. And the, the, the whole crux of the message is normal isn't working. So it's time to be weird. And the service, in that service, we looked at a passage from Matthew 7, 13 and 14. It says this, enter through that narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road or enter through. Yeah. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, I want you to say that, say many, many. are entered through it. It says, but small is the gate. This is what Jesus says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few, say a few, few. find it. The road that leads to destruction, it is broad and smooth, and many are on it. You could say it this way. It is normal to be on the broad road, but we are not called to travel this broad road and enter through the wide gate that leads to destruction. Instead, Jesus called us and told us to do this. Be weird. Be weird. Enter through that small gate. The road is a lot more difficult to travel, and it's a narrow gate, and only a few people are going to find it. In fact, so few people. road and don't feel a little weird about it 
you might not be on it at all. So that was my first Sunday. That was the call. That was my challenge to my new congregation. Be weird. Because if you're going with the flow, if you're doing what everyone else is doing, then it is likely you are on the wrong path. And I realized today as I was preparing this sermon that my challenge to you this morning is the same. Be weird. Now, I don't want you to be weird in a general sense, but in a very specific sense this morning. I want you to be weird in a very specific way. I want you to be weird with how you view and understand and handle conflicts. First, let me just pray for us. So Almighty God, fountain of all wisdom, enlighten us by your Holy Spirit. Enlighten those who will teach, those who will learn, that rejoicing in the knowledge of your truth, they may worship you and serve you from generation to generation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, we pray. Amen. So here's my pitch this morning. It's pretty simple, and I trust you'll agree with me. Being a rebuilder, think about all you've heard over the last, I don't know how many weeks you've been doing it, like 10 weeks or something. Being a rebuilder doesn't mean you should avoid conflict. That's my pitch. You agree with me? Being a rebuilder doesn't mean you should avoid conflict. It, it doesn't mean that if you have conflict, you're doing something wrong. In fact, I guess, go back to last week, and I know in other places, Pastor Mark's talked about it, often when you are doing the right thing is when you face the most opposition. Being a rebuilder doesn't mean you avoid conflict. It doesn't mean if you have conflict, you're doing something wrong. Rather, being a rebuilder means you understand conflict will come, and you know how to effectively approach it by seeking, here's the key, listen, reconciliation. And that in itself is weird. I could say it this way instead, conflict resolution is a skill that is so underutilized by people in society at large that if you take it seriously and you put it into practice, you will likely be considered, but even by those who are close to you, as weird. Now, here's something I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed too, when conflicts arise in people's lives, most people, most of the time, are happy to talk about the conflict and the person they have conflict with, with everybody else. They're willing to talk about it with anybody who will listen to them talk about it, except, and here's the key, the person that they actually have conflict with. Most people, most of the time, are happy to talk about conflict with anyone who will listen except the person that they actually have conflict with. Have you ever noticed that, or am I the only one? Have you ever had someone say, so-and-so told so-and-so who told so-and-so that they're mad at you? And you're so far down the line, you don't even know how to respond to that. Or maybe you're on the other end, if we can be really honest with each other, I trust we can. Sometimes I'm guilty of that too, where you have an issue with someone, but you don't want to deal with it with them, so you talk about it with others. You've been unwilling to actually talk to the person. You have conflict. Now, this is normal and a big problem. And I can tell you why in one sentence, if you're taking notes, this is the first one for you. If you are willing to discuss your problems with others, but not the person you have an issue with, you are looking to be right and not for reconciliation. If you are willing to discuss your problems with others, but not the person you have an issue with, you are looking to be right and not 
for reconciliation. You're looking for confirmation. You're looking for affirmation or justification for your words or your actions. But we can be sure of this. If you are unwilling to go to them and talk to the person you have an issue with, the one thing you are not looking for is reconciliation, that restored relationship. Now, the Bible teaches us a far healthier way to deal with conflict than this. And if you can put what the Bible teaches and what we'll talk about today into action, here's what I can tell you. Every single relationship you have is going to be strengthened. Every single relation you have will be deepened. And so what does the Bible teach? This is really simple. We're going to unpack it. This is the next point in your sermon notes. The Bible teaches when you have a conflict with someone, go and privately talk to them about it. When you have a conflict with someone, go and privately talk to them about it. Now, before I impact it a little, let me just tackle the why. Sometimes you need a why. You have to understand the why in order to do the what. And so here's the why. It's not only important for your relationship where there is conflict with that person, but the why you need to understand conflict resolution and how to seek reconciliation is because your relationship with others is ultimately connected to and a reflection of your relationship with God. Let me show you this with a few passages. 1 John uh, 4.20 says this. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. Our love for God is practically lived out and expressed when we live in obedience to him. And he tells us clearly that we can't love him while at the same time hating another. We could flip that and say it the other way. He tells us very clearly to love Everyone, always. And we see that in a whole bunch of other passages. Scripture talks about this over and over again. Jesus talks about this over and over again. If you want to get some examples, I don't have them here, but if you flip to the Gospel of John, you get to about chapters 13, 14, 15, over and over again, there's this refrain from Jesus that pops up over and over. He says, my command is this, a new command I give you. You need to heed my words, listen to my words, and put them in action. He says, my command is this. Does anyone know? Love one another. Understand, if you hate someone, you're living in disobedience to what God commands and showing that you don't really love God. Because why? The greatest act of worship we can give to God, the best way we express our love for God, is by doing what he says. And he says, love everyone always. Listen to another passage, Matthew 5, 23, 24. If you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering, and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right, then, and only then, come back and work things out with God. This passage should shock us far more than it does. I don't know how we can read this and not be completely shocked by it. Do you hear how radical it is? How much importance is Jesus is placing on reconciliation here? Is saying, if you're at church, let's play this hypothetical out with you right now. If you are at church today, and you're singing the songs. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that time. Thank you, Carly, and everyone else. But if you are here and you're singing those songs and you remember God brings to mind that there is an, a conflict that has been unresolved with someone else, this passage says, go, get up and leave. Now, if you have to go to the washer, maybe just give it a minute because people might be thinking, <laughs> you know what, though, if you do get up now, we should be celebrating that. You're doing what the Bible teaches. This is radical. It's saying if you're in church and God brings to mind an unresolved conflict, leave church. This is so important. God says, get out of church, get that relationship right, and then and only then, come back. Why is the skill of biblical conflict resolution so important? 
because not only does it does unresolved conflict hinder your relationship with others, but it also hinders your relationship with God. And your love of God must manifest itself in obedience to what he asks you to do. And that always, always, say always, always, always means an outpouring of love for others. That's the why. Let's talk about the how. What does the Bible practically teach about conflict resolution? Let me read for you from Matthew. I'm going to read from my Bible here. Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read from verses 15 to 17. Matthew 18, we're going to start at verse 15. I'll go down to verse 17. This is Jesus talking. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter will be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. There are four very clear, hopefully self-evident steps in this passage. First, it says, talk to the person privately. And as you might be able to tell, we're going to focus in on that one quite a bit this morning as we already have. Step two says, if that doesn't end in reconciliation, you go to step two, it says, bring one other or two other people with you. If needed, you go to step three, it says, bring the problem to a larger body, such as the church. And as a last result, if nothing that none of that brings reconciliation, you go to step four, which says, has a break in the relationship. And I know some of this might sound harsh as we read it, but the truth of the matter is most of the time, most people don't do any of these things. Most of the time we don't do this. Instead, what do we do? We simply let things fester inside. But when we actually take these steps seriously and implement what the Bible teaches us and do what God says, the vast majority of our issues and conflicts are resolved by just doing step one, which says go and privately talk to the person. I can say that another way, a large portions of conflicts in your life that have remained, they remain simply because you have been unwilling to go and talk to the person you have conflict with. And while we're here, we should make a note that, that not a single one of these steps in the Bible from Matthew 18 there says that, that we, we need to first take the problem and go talk to a whole bunch of other people about it. You'll notice every single step is about going back to the person, back to the person. Every single one of the steps, the leading principle is always to talk to the person with whom, with whom, sorry, my voice is trying to get away, you have conflict with. And I, I was thinking this week, do you know how many relationships could be saved and restored if we took this seriously? Do you, do you know how many marriages could be saved if we put this one principle into action? If instead of talking to your parents or your friends about your, your spousal conflicts, is anyone married and can admit we sometimes have conflicts with our spouse? Do you know how many of your marriages will be strengthened and deepened if instead of talking to your parents about it or your friends about those issues, you sat down at the table with your spouse, you put your phone away, you turned the TV off and you had a real conversation? You know, I, I, I realized something is that my mom is almost always going to take my side in an argument. She loves me. And because of that, if I go to her and I bring the issue to her, I'm going to feel validated in my opinion and my side of the argument. And that's actually going to drive conflict deeper instead of working towards reconciliation. The driving principle of all the steps in the Bible is go to the person that you have conflict with. Listen, I want you to leave here hearing this one thing so clearly, so I'm going to say it again. 
If there is conflict, if there is a problem that you have in a relationship, step one says go privately talk to them. Talk to the person you have a conflict with. And that's the key. You got to go. You have to go to them, not to some other person, uh, not to people who are going to take your side, no matter what. You go to the person you have an issue with and you talk about it. And by the way, this does not say go and attack that person. Go and catch them off guard so they are on the back foot so you have a superior position so that you can trap them and that you can end up being right. This should be a very scheduled meeting with extremely clear intentions. You call them and you say, we need to get this figured out because there is tension here. I feel it. I know you feel it. Let's get the specific time and place set so that we can be reconciled, so that we can work through this. And here's what I'm saying to you, and I think you'll agree with me. The vast majority of your conflicts will be resolved if you do this. The vast majority, not all of them maybe, but the vast majority of conflicts will be resolved if you can understand and put into practice step one. Go. Go privately and discuss it with them and see if you can come to a resolution or at the very least, agree to disagree in civility. But understand, this is the part we don't like the most, I think. Understand the onus falls on you. You don't wait for them to come. You go. Listen to Romans 12, 17, 18. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Listen now. If it is possible, as far as it depends on, what's it say? You. Live at peace with everyone. You catch that? If it is possible, if there's a slight chance at all, if there is anything to be done about it, as far as it depends on you, because you can't control others, right? You're not going to be able to control what they say or do, how they respond to your attempts to live at peace. But as far as it depends on you, meaning... If the situation, if the conflict you have does not become resolved, it ends in an unpeaceful manner or an unresolved manner, this says, don't let that be because of you. As far as it depends on you, if it is possible, don't let your pride or your sense of justice be the reason that the situation remains in unresolved conflict. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And now I'm going to say something here and give you the warning ahead of time. This is going to sound really harsh, but I don't care whose fault it is. I don't care. And I know you're saying, pastor, you don't know what they said to me, how many times they've said that to me. You don't know what they did to me, how badly they hurt me. This is real pain I'm experiencing in your life. And, and you're right. I don't. Okay. I don't, but I do know that waiting around will only continue to put strain and distance on your relationship and ultimately your relationship with God. And so regardless of whose fault it is, you need to have the onus on you and go because you are supposed to, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, not as far as it depends on them, live at peace with everyone. And maybe someone did hurt you really bad. And I'm not trying to dismiss that, okay? And if that happened to you, I genuinely am sorry that you've experienced that pain. Your hurts are real, your hurts are valid, but letting a wound fester doesn't bring healing. Letting a wound fester only makes it worse. It becomes infected and begins to cause a whole host of other problems that weren't there in the first place. So instead, we need to heed the call here to begin that healing process by taking the initiative 
and going. Now, I'm assuming you're with me, and someone's going to say, yes, Pastor, to make me feel better. Yes, Pastor. Thank you. <laughs> you're in complete agreement with me. You're thinking of a conflict that's remaining unresolved. Now, you know what you have to do. You need to take the initiative to go. So you're saying, okay, I'm going to call this person. I'm going to set up that scheduled meeting so they know it's not an attack on them. I don't want them to be in the back foot, but I care more about reconciliation than being right. Now what? I'm going to get that meeting in private set up with them. Now what? Now it's going to sound really simple, but it's true. Here's what you do next. When engaging with a person you have conflict with, you need to be able to speak openly and honestly, but also tactfully. Now we struggle with that last one on a good day, I think, especially when dealing with hurts. Working towards reconciliation, we need to understand we have to be able to speak openly and honestly, but we need to be sure that we're doing it tactfully. You know, I, I've met people, and I'm sure you have too, who like to use being right, or they'll say something like speaking the truth as a club to beat others down. We have somehow bought into the lie that we can say whatever or how, say uh, something however we want because it's true, which is, by the way, in case you're wondering, completely unbiblical. People like to use being right or speaking the truth as a club to beat others down, but that's not helping anyone. What does the Bible actually teach? It says, speak the truth in. Does anyone know? Love. That's, that's from Ephesians 4.15. If you go a little further down in Ephesians 4, just a few more verses down, Paul expands on it. Ephesians 4.19, uh, 4.29. Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You want to know what does it mean to speak the truth in love? That. That's what it means. You ask yourself, is what I am saying to them helping to build them up? Is it benefiting those who are listening? See, people, they, they normally deal with conflict in one or two ways. You might find or, or see yourself in one of these two things. Some people are hiders when it comes to conflict. I'm that. Is anyone willing to admit they're a hider? I avoid conflict. I don't want to see it. I don't want to deal with it. I'll just keep these pains in and these hurts that I have, and I, I'll just walk away and then pretend there's a reconciled relationship. That's me. The other side is hurlers. We've kind of talked about them. Hurlers, they're not going to avoid conflict. They will gladly embrace conflict because they have truth on their side and they're going to hurl truth at them no matter the cost. They will share truth, but not in love. Scripture calls us to a completely different approach. And it's not some middle ground. A lot of people like to have two extremes and say scripture falls in the middle. That's not true. Scripture's on an entirely different spectrum here. It's a completely different approach. It is not a middle ground. It's something different altogether. What does scripture teach? The scripture teaches this. This is your sermon notes three. You are not called to be a hider or a hurler, but instead to be a peacemaker. Scripture calls us to a path that's not wide like the others. It's a very narrow path, and only a few find it. Only a few weird people are on it. You are not called to be a hider or a hurler, but instead to be a peacemaker. Peacemakers seek reconciliation. They share truth, but they do so tactfully in love with the intention of building others up. They use truth in love to reach the goal of reconciliation. Let me say it this way. This is your last sermon note on there. If the most important aspect of conflict resolution is taking the initiative to go and talk to the person, the second most important aspect, almost equal to the first, is this. How you say things matters. Saying, I'm just a straight shooter. I just call it like it is. Does not give you permission to treat people like garbage. 
If you do that, it's time to stop. It's not biblical. You can't get a biblical point that says that anywhere. You do not get permission to treat people badly just because you're using truth. You are to speak the truth in love. Listen, I have no issue with speaking truth. I hope you do. That is what we are supposed to do. But the idea that you can say it however you want is just completely unbiblical. Why? Because how you say things matters. Listen to Proverbs 12, 18. Your words have power. Do you know that? Listen to this. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We could say brings peace, brings reconciliation. You're never going to get your point across by being abrasive. You heard that saying, you catch more flies with honey. Truth without love is going to be resisted. Truth without love is going to be resisted. You know that because sometimes the media encapsulates the loudest Christians who are sometimes speaking truth, but they're not doing it in love as they beat others down with it. And you can see the pushback from the opposite side. It is resisted, but truth wrapped in love is embraced. Truth wrapped in love is going to be received. Let me get really, really practical here. You're with me in all this. You're agreeing with me. I feel good about that. Thank you. I'm going to give you 24 statements here. We're going to work through these pretty quick. 12 of them are normal. 12 of them are unhelpful. 12 of them are unhealthy. The other 12, the opposing 12, though, are biblical and helpful and we could say maybe weird. And we're going to look at these 12 different approaches to conflict reconciliation. And we're going to look at 12 of them are negative, 12 of them are positive. And you'll see how it is uh, appropriate and helpful to approach conflict reconciliation. You ready? Here's how you do it. So we'll start with the unhelpful side. We'll put the first one up here. So the first one is this. The unhelpful, unbiblical, he says, you go and you catch the person off guard and you attack. The helpful side says, no, you agree on a time and a place to meet. We'll keep going. The uh, unhelpful, you passively suppress your feelings. Anyone's a hider, that's me. That's what I do. The helpful, the weird, the biblical says you assertively and honestly express your feelings. Unhelpful, you personalize the disagreement. It's about that person. The helpful and the weird, the biblical says, no, you're going to focus on the problem so that you can have a reconciled relationship with the person. Keep going. The uh, unhelpful, the normal, you get your friend's referee or you call your mom to be the referee. That doesn't work. The weird is you get a neutral referee if you need to go to that step. Normal, you be negative and vindictive. Weird, you develop a positive, mature attitude. The normal, you find someone to blame. We like that one. The weird, we are going to search for a solution. Normal, we're going to generalize and exaggerate the problem. The weird is we're going to focus in on very specific things. The normal is to be silent and superior. The weird is to be open and available. The normal is to blame someone else. The weird is to affirm your responsibility in the conflict. The normal is to, when problems arise, you just walk out. The weird is when problems arise, you work them out. The normal is you presume and assume and dominate. The weird is you listen, you wait, and you learn. The normal, you stubbornly demand guarantees. If you don't do this, then the weirdest, I'm ready to move forward in our relationships. I'm going to forgive. The normal, is that the last one? Yeah, thank you, Dave. Our church doesn't have a fancy reverse monitor, so I'm used to having to stare at my notes, so... That, that was a nice little change for me. Here's what you need to remember. In all of this, we can summarize it pretty good. To have a healthy, 
thriving relationship with others doesn't mean you have to 100% agree on everything. We sometimes forget that, don't we? To have a healthy, thriving, loving relationship does not mean you have to 100% agree on everything. That's not realistic at all. And that's why healthy conflict management focuses more on reconciliation than resolution. I'm defining those in tight terms. Resolution meaning every issue is resolved. You've come to an agreement where reconciliation says maybe not everything is resolved perfectly and we've come to an agreement on it, but our relationship is. Let me ask you this way. Can you have a loving relationship with someone without agreeing on everything? If you're married, put your hand up. (laughs) That many people know it's true, okay? If you're married, you know this is true. You can have a loving relationship with someone without 100% agreeing on everything. The key then is learning. It's learning. We have to be open and willing to learn. We have to learn to disagree without becoming disagreeable. We have to learn to live in unity without living in uniformity. We have to learn to walk hand in hand without always seeing eye to eye. Do you know what that's called? Wisdom. You are most like Jesus when you are in the business of reconciliation. You are most like Jesus when you speak truth in love. You know, you think about why Jesus came as we head up to Easter, what it's all about. Do you know what Easter's all about? Reconciliation. Jesus is the great reconciler. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Do you notice that Jesus does not say, blessed are those that love peace. Blessed are those who desire peace. Blessed are those who watch and look out for peace. None of those things. What does he say? Blessed are the ones that go and seek reconciliation with others. Those who make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. So I leave you with that today. Let's be peacemakers. As far as it depends on you, let's live our lives and have relationships with others the way that Jesus lived his life and had relationships with others. Let's be peacemakers. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now at my church, as Pastor Mark said, uh, he gave away my secret. This is my fifth time now doing this message. Of course, it's different every time, but every single new year, I preach the same message because I think we need this reminder at least once a year And at my church, at the end of the message, I I finish, I wrap it up by giving my church eight commitments. I'm making these eight commitments to you with the congregation. I ask them to make the same eight commitments back to me. And I really believe that if both I and the congregation in the church can adhere to these commitments, there is no reason at all that we should have sustained conflict between uh, the different parties. Both parties will mutually be seeking to have that reconciled relationship when conflicts arise. And of course, conflicts will arise. And so I wanted to make sure we have an agreement and tools in place to deal with it when they do. And so I make these eight commitments and uh, they have, and I believe they will continue. The commitments will have greatly reduced conflict. And what they do is it will ensure that we collectively are part of the solution and instead of adding to the problem. What's really interesting about these commitments is that they are going to start to weed people out who are just there to sow havoc and to sow dissension. People who want to just complain is going to weed people out who care more about being right than having reconciled relationships. And so I thought it would be fitting to finish to having your pastor come and to make these commitments to you. And I ask if you would make the commitments back to him. So Pastor Mark, I'll invite you.
So I, I, these are in your sermon notes, and I printed them out for myself because I want to put them up in my office. So it's not just theory, but something to daily put into practice. And uh, these eight points, I would pray, and I'm going to trust and hope that hearing the word of God today, that these are what you would want to put into practice in your life as I'm saying them to you. So number one, if you have a problem with me, come to me privately. If I have a problem with you, I will come to you privately. Number two, if someone has a problem with me and comes to you, send them to me. I'll do the same for you. Number three, if someone consistently will not come to me, say to them, let's go to the pastor together. I'm sure he will see us uh, about this. And again, I'll do the same for you. Number four, be careful how you interpret me. I'd rather do that. On matters that are unclear, do not feel pressured to try to interpret my feelings or thoughts. It's easy to misinterpret, especially emails and stuff. You ever notice that? Interpret misintentions. I will do the same for you. Number five, if it's confidential, don't tell. If any of you come to me in confidence, I won't tell unless the person is going to harm themselves, the person is going to physically harm someone else, or a child has been physically or sexually abused. I expect the same level of confidentiality from you. That's huge. Number six, I do not read unsigned letters or notes or emails. Now, I tell you, I do have a binder full of your encouragement notes that you sign. I read them once in a while because it encourages me. And also the ones that maybe aren't because, that you, because they're, they're important. But I do not read unsigned letters or notes or emails. There is no chance for reconciliation in such cases. Again, if you have a problem with me, come talk to me about it. Number seven, I will not manipulate you. I will not preach at you based on something you have said to me in private. I'll leave conviction to the Holy Spirit, who frankly does a better job at it anyways. And then finally, when in doubt, just say it. There are no silly questions. We are a family. We are a family. And we care about each other. So if you have a concern, pray. And then if led by the Spirit, speak up. It is possible for me to answer your question without misrepresenting someone or something. I will. Let's pray as we close. The worship team will come. Father, thank you for your word because it's so relevant and practical. It's not just something we talk in theory. And, but God, you're, you're asking us and telling us it depends on me. And Father, so that calls me forward and to take these tools and to put them into practice today and tomorrow because conflict is a part of life. It's part of relationships, and we want to do it well and to honor you and to bring, uh, to make peace, to have reconciliation, God, because that is your will, because you are, as we heard today, the great reconciliator. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.